the weekly message from Encounter, where the past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. Good to see you guys this morning. So they're in class and the teacher says that they're going to have a, a show and tell next week of your religion. You can come to class and you, you're supposed to bring something with you that is significant in your religion. And so the next week comes and the little Jewish boy gets up and he says, here's the star of David. This is meaningful to us Jews. And um, the little Buddhist boy gets up and he has a Buddha statue. And he said, this is Buddha. And this is meaningful to us. The next little girl gets up and she goes, I'm a Christian. And this is a casserole. <laughs> okay, there's a casserole dinner next week, okay? Maybe bad timing, but... Uh, I thought it was cute. How's everybody doing? You doing okay? Good to see you, man. You doing all right? You know what? God knows who you are. The enemy is always working to make us to think that we're alone, that God doesn't understand. But God understands. He knows who you are, and he knows what's going on in your life. He wants you to know he's got this. Turn your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of John. Chapter number 8. John chapter 8, verse 3. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accus those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. 
And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Would you stretch your hand this way and pray with me and for me this morning? Father, I thank you that you are always good. And now I ask you, God, as I am challenged to share your heart with your people, I just pray for clarity of thought and and liberty to do such. Holy Spirit, I need you to do what you do so well, and that is to speak to every heart here today in a very personal way. I pray for freedom. I pray for direction. I pray for light. And Father, I, I bind all of that that which hinder. I would bind all of that that which would distract. And I loose you, Father, to do what you want to do today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. For the next few minutes, I want to share with you not only a message of instruction, but a message of deliverance. I've titled it, They, Them, and You. (laughs) They, Them, and You. We're living in a day like never before where there's a herd mentality about life. And God gives us a prescription for that attitude all the way back in this story. Because when this story begins, the scribes and Pharisees, very distinct group of individuals, scribes and Pharisees, They're identifiable. You know who they are. They're scribes and Pharisees. Scribes and Pharisees comes to Jesus, bringing this woman caught in adultery. But from that moment on, they quit being scribes and Pharisees. They are only referred to as they and them. It says, and the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us, but what sayest thou? This they said, they and them. It's sad that we're living in a day when the herd mentality is so strong even on social media. You know, somebody can, I still don't quite understand the whole attraction to Twitter, but they can put a pound sign and make a a Twitter statement, and now that will trend. And you'll see on the news that, you know, this is trending. That's trending. On Facebook, people will get in groups and will attack something that somebody did. Years ago, uh, when Life Changers was here, was was a part of our body, um, we had worked with them to find adequate housing in Aurora, Ohio. And uh, it was a beautiful place for them. And they entered into a legally binding lease agreement, 
and began to pay, it was in excess of $3,000 a month for this building to, to house them in, and somebody got word that there were people in that house that had an alcohol problem or a drug problem. And so the, it just blew up. There's a, a Facebook, or not a Facebook, there's a website address. I think it's called neighborly.com. I was a part of that, and since this house was in my neighborhood, the neighbors just went livid. We don't want alcoholics in our neighborhoods. We won't want drug addicts in our neighborhoods. And they just, and they just piled up. They, they forgot that these were human beings they were talking about. And that strikes me as odd in a city that has seven bars. <laughs> Let's not talk about the sheer hypocrisy of that. When I got engaged with the herd, I said, no, you don't now have drug addicts and alcoholics in your neighborhood. You already had them. Why don't want they, I don't want them living next door to me. They're already living next door to you. <laughs> Only now, they're being supervised and they're being helped. And it didn't matter. The police got involved and the mayor got involved and literally ran them out of town. No other way to put it. Literally ran them out of town. The herd mentality. Herd mentality can happen on Facebook. Somebody can post the stupidest thing. And if you don't like that person, if you're not careful, you'll join the herd. Just because you don't like that person. We judge people, but we vindicate ourselves. That's what a herd does. A herd can become rude. I was once asked by the state overseer to go to a church on a Sunday evening because the, the pastor and the church were fighting and, and they were fussing at each other. And, and he asked me to go intervene to see if I could help. And I talked to the pastor beforehand and he, he was wrestling with his own issues. And, but we came to service time, and I was supposed to engage the people for just a few minutes, but I was supposed to preach, and, and they had this herd mentality. They were determined to run him out of town. They were determined to embarrass him. And so the service started, and the worship leader who had sat at the piano, she was the ringleader of the whole group. She started to sing a song, and she got halfway or she got a little over halfway with a song, and then she stopped because she remembered an announcement. And then she got done with that song and started the next one, and then she wanted to say something bad about the pastor. And so she stopped while sitting on the platform, and she had something bad to say about the pastor. And it's just rude. And finally got to the part of the service where the pastor's trying to introduce me, and people kept standing up. I want to testify. They'd stop him in mid-sentence. I want to testify. they get done testifying. He'd try to go on. Somebody said, I got a prayer request. They just kept being rude. 
herd mentality. I got up to preach and they tried that on me. I was literally standing like right here as I'm just kind of greeting the people. And some guy is sitting right there. He stood up. He said, I want to testify. I said, sit down. I got the microphone. I'm here to preach now. Sit down. Be quiet. Herd mentality. A herd can get rude. They can take on an attitude about something. And, and in taking on that attitude, they lose their identity. Scribes and Pharisees became they and them. How many know what I'm talking about? God did not create you and I as a they or a them. He created you and I as a you. You individually are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not an alcoholic, you're a you. You're not a drug addict, you're a you. You're not a white person, you're a you. You're not a black person, you're a you. And whenever we get into these groups or these herds, then we create division. When we begin to divide by names and create herds, we, we create division that, that never fulfills the purposes of God. And... And the herd always looks to punish the outsider. The one who's different. The one who reacts differently. The one who sees something different. The one who has a problem that may be different than their problem. You know, if we're not careful, we join herds and criticize those people who struggle in areas that we don't struggle in. And, and God tells us that given time, he will fix that in us if we don't fix it ourselves. Because the measure you measure against other people, one day you will be measured by that. Gail Beth and I, our first child, I don't remember the ages, but it... At one point in time, it was, it was to the point where you're potty breaking them, you know, you're learning them. And we had a, a, an individual who, in our network of people, who thought that it was taking too long. You should have already potty break them by now. Can you, there's nothing defines frustration more than to think you can potty break a kid. Come on, you need to lose that God complex because <laughs> you may think you can rule the world, but you're not going to potty break that kid until that kid's ready to be potty broke. How many know what I'm talking about? You can provide the environment, but it's going to happen when it happens. And this individual in our network says, oh, when I have kids, my kids are going to be potty break long before that. I think their child, their first child, was twice our son's age before they were potty broke. Herd mentality. You get involved with a herd, and the herd doesn't want you to think for yourself. They don't want you to express an idea or 
or head in a different direction than the herd is. The herd wants you to think for itself. And when you're involved with a herd, you not only will see division, you'll see bullying. had to confront a teacher of one of our sons a number of years ago because our, 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 our son didn't have his homework ready on time. And when he expressed out loud to the teacher that I didn't know it was due today, she turned to the class and said, Class, can everybody tell so-and-so when the... The homework was due, and of course, everybody in the class said it's due today. I got word of that, and my blood started to boil. I went to visit with that teacher. Thankfully, she handled it well. But I said, you literally used the whole classroom to bully my child. That's what the herd does. It hurts individuals. It loses its compassion. It causes division. It bullies. This, this herd mentality is what causes people to want to join gangs. To be a part of a gang, often there's an initiation, something you have to do. Oftentimes violent to become a part of the gang. A herd doesn't have a heart. And you and I, in the day that we live in, we've got to be careful about plugging into herd mentality. About just because that's what somebody said. And about that person, and you don't like that person, or you don't struggle where they struggle, it's easy to join the crowd of criticism. And yet this story is full of life for us. But to, but to get that, we've got to answer some questions. It says that they brought the woman who was caught in adultery, and they said, this is what she was doing. And I, 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 I wonder how they knew that. How many people caught her in the act of adultery? Was it one person? Was it five? We know from later verbiage in this verses that these were not only young people, there were old people. There were elderly people, there were young people. How many people went into the bedroom and caught her? The matter is, they all didn't go in there. One, maybe two of them caught her. But what one or two of them said or thought became the thought for the whole herd. Come on. This is truth. And all of them lost their identity when they joined the herd. And the herd doesn't want you to think for yourself. The herd just wants you to pick up a banner and protest. The herd just wants you to react. The herd doesn't want you to be fair or just. It just wants you to punish those who they think are worth punishing. 
They caught her. I, I understand it takes two. But already the herd is being unfair. I understand adultery is wrong. I understand that it broke the law of Moses. I understand that the law of Moses called for those caught in adultery to be stoned, but there's only one person here. That's what the herd does. It's never fair and it's never just. You ever been attacked by a herd? People make blatant, broad statements about you. They have no idea what they're talking about. Just the herd. Because the pastor doesn't like you, the church doesn't like you. Because the pastor's wife doesn't like you, the church doesn't like you. Because a big giver in the church doesn't like you, then the church doesn't like you. Because somebody the herd likes doesn't like you, they don't like you. How many know what I'm talking about? And this happens in churches as well as happens... You know what, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad that to be a pastor of a church where, where I don't have to preach on Sunday issues that I'm aware of in the body. I mean that. I'm glad to be a part of a church where God can speak to us preventatively. Amen? We're not perfect, but I thank God for the unity we have. And I, I thank God that I don't see this in us as a body. And, and I'm, I'm thanking God that by his spirit, he's preventing something. But there's a danger in the herd mentality that just because one person ticks somebody else off, not everybody's got to be aggravated. I've been there. I've been attacked by the herd. As a pastor, I've been attacked by the herd. That's an awful place to be. To be attacked by people that if they knew the truth, you'd give your life for them. Have them attack your family. We once pastored a church that were so aggravated at me, they sent their boys to beat up our son. Threw rocks at our windows. Church people. Herd mentality. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to get caught up in herd mentality on Facebook. Somebody will post something about some political candidate you don't like. It doesn't matter if it's true. It hurts them, so you go after it. You like it. You comment like you know everything. And they brought her to Jesus. I, 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 I love the fact that in spite of the pain she was experiencing in that moment and the injustice she was experiencing in that moment, those things still delivered her to Jesus. And the irony starts because they bring her, listen to me, you've got to hear their words, she is already condemned. 
there's no doubt, they leave no doubt about what's going on. We, the herd, have already determined that she's guilty. She was caught in the act. Don't argue with us. She was caught in the act of adultery. She is condemned. And they don't understand how badly they are going to fail. Because when you bring the condemned to him who has no condemnation, and they throw her down. Today we don't, we don't have rocks that we throw at people most of the time. None of you throw rocks at anybody, do you? But rumors are rocks. Words are rocks. We don't physically bring somebody and bring them before the church and condemn them and stand with rocks. We, if we're not careful, we'll condemn them with our words. Our, our words become rocks. Rumors become rocks. And they think they've trapped him. It says that they're testing him. They think they've trapped him because if he agrees with the law of Moses, she dies. If he disagrees with the law of Moses, he dies. This isn't, listen to me, this isn't about her. This was always about him. You got to get that. In that moment, they think they have him. They think they have him caught. Because if he stands for the law of Moses, this savior of the world has to stand back and watch her get stoned to death. While his followers question, why didn't you step in and help? But if he denies the law of Moses, the law of Moses causes him to be put to death. They are sure they have him. And he stoops down and he begins to write in the sand as if he didn't hear a word they said. Can I tell you, sometimes the best thing you can say to your enemy is nothing at all. Just a word to the American 2020. You know, you don't have to comment on every post on Facebook. It's okay to let some stupid people say stupid things without you pointing out that they're stupid. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's a word. You can go on and say, you know what? <laughs> he stoops and he writes. And then he stands up and listen to me. You got you to catch what he does here. He takes the they 
and the them and turns them back into a you. Could I tell you that the devil likes to gather people around him, but God always deals with us on an individual basis. He knows who you are, man. He knows you, Tamala. Mindy, he knows you, Mindy. He's, he's a personal God. And he stands up and he looks at all of them and he says, you that is without sin, throw the first stone. He took the they and the them and turned them back into a you. Listen to me for a moment. You can't go to heaven on somebody else's coattail, but you can ride to hell on somebody else's coattail. God engages us on a one-on-one basis. Let every man, let every woman work out their own salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. Then I want to talk to you about the deliverance part. That's the warning. After he looked them in the eye, he got down and began to write again in the dirt. I know thousands of messages have been preached, what he wrote in the dirt. You know what he wrote in the dirt? We don't know because it's not important. So get over that. Don't lose the bigger message. I'm so glad I got a God who will get down in the dirt with me. He didn't stay at where he was at. She was down in the dirt. And he got down in the dirt with her. Somebody says, why is he touching the dirt? What is he writing? I don't know what he's writing. It's irrelevant. What's relevant is he got in the dirt. Is that a subtle way for her to tell him, listen, I, I know where you came from. I know the dirt that's been done to you. I know your struggles. I know your humanity. Can I tell you, in this day and age that we live in, we got to get out of the herd mentality, and we got to be willing to be people who will get down in the dirt with somebody when the crowd is ready to throw rocks. We got to think for ourselves and get down in the dirt with somebody and send them a message that, that I'm not going to be part of a herd that judges you. I'm going to be one who gets down where you're at. I can get down where you're at without involving myself in your sin. I can get down where you're at. You know, when we were, when we were learning to be foster parents, we for, for a season were an emergency placement home where kids in the worst situation are brought into your home. One of the things that we learned to do is when you engaged a child, you got down on their level. And so they could understand. And Jesus was down there and he was in the dirt. And I'm so glad that God didn't just cast me down and condemn me. He didn't, judge, he didn't simply judge me and leave me in my mess. He got me down there. He got down there in my dirt with me. And he loved me out of that. You will never judge people out of sin. You will never judge them out of addiction. You will never judge them out of a struggle. 
you can love them out of sin and you can love them out of addiction and you can love them out of a struggle. But you got to be willing to get out of the herd and get down in the dirt with them. And then I'm finally to the main point of what I want to share with you. You got to get this. As he was down there the second time, the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they started dropping the rocks and walking away. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us anything without purpose. Listen to me for a moment. We, we, we live in a time when, when, in, when you talk about the herd mentality. If you're not careful, you will say, well, that generation. There's one generation. That's the one living right now. This generation has young people in it and middle-aged people in it and older people in it but it's one generation. And I want you to catch that when he confronted them about their own shortcomings, the first person to realize their mistake was the older people. And I, I, I would to God that we could be part of a generation that understands that we are most useful and we will make the most progress as a generation if we can utilize the strength and the passion of the young people combined with the wisdom of the old people. That somehow in that balance, I, I think in every church refrigerator for staff, there ought to be a insure bottle next to a Red Bull. And hope to God the old guy don't get the Red Bull. You see, we need to get down into the dirt with that one because, listen, don't forget, they need the same mercy you needed one day. They need the same grace you needed one day. And you and I, when we find somebody caught in a fault, our job is to restore them, not stone them. But in this process, as Jesus the second time is kneeling in the dirt and you can hear the drops the rocks dropping, and from the oldest to the youngest, they walk away. He stands up and he looks at her and he asks her a question. And I want to tell you something. Whenever God asks a question, he's not looking for information. He's trying to focus your thoughts for a moment. He doesn't get up from the ground and he's surprised that they walked away. He heard the rocks drop. He heard them shuffle away. When he stood up, he said to her, woman, 
Where are your accusers? Last night as I was praying for the service, the Lord spoke to my heart about this simple truth. There is people here this morning that your accusers have walked away, but you're still waiting for a stone. And you don't understand. He's dispatched your accusers. For years, we were hounded by an individual. Maybe, I don't know if it was for years. A year or so. Who He, he was sure I was the Antichrist, and I'm not going to go into the whole story why he thought that. It had nothing to do with me. He thought Ronald Reagan, Ronald Wilson Reagan was the Antichrist. He came to me for help in killing Ronald Wilson Reagan. Ronald Wilson Reagan, six letters in each name. And when I wouldn't help him kill Ronald Reagan because Ronald's not the Antichrist, he had a revelation. The reason I wouldn't help him is because I'm the Antichrist. Yeah, that works. And he hounded us. That's the nicest word I can use. Vandalized our church building. Called back. Remember what? Remember the thing he used to call the answering machine? He called and leave the most vile, nasty messages on our answering machine. Day and night. For a long, long time. God taught me in that season, God taught us in that season how to love our enemies. And we took to praying for him, praying for his salvation. And one day, I had to go, I didn't have to go, but I went on a missions trip to Honduras, and I'm concerned about leaving my wife and son at home because there were times where Randy would, I didn't mean to say his name, but this individual would sit in his car in front of our house. That can't be good. And I'm all the way down in Honduras, and I'm, I think of him, and I, I began to pray for him, and I, I just began to pray for his salvation. And, and as I'm praying for his salvation, I notice God isn't engaged in this anymore. I wasn't feeling anything. You, you ever talk to somebody, and you just know they're not listening? And so I stop. And I thought for a moment, and I realized that we hadn't got a message from him in several weeks, and it rarely ever went two or three days. But it had been several weeks since we'd gotten any messages from him. And so I said, Lord, what, what happened to him? God said, I've shut his mouth. Never heard from him again. Listen to me for a moment. This is a word for somebody. Jesus wants you to know that your accusers are no longer accusing you. Their accusations, it's not that they're not saying what they're saying. Their accusations have no effect on him. And he doesn't want them to have any effect on you. It's not over until you say it's over.
It's not over until you say it's over. It's not over until you say it's over. It's not over until you say it's over. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. It's not over until you say it's over. Well, the truth sets free. The truth does not set free. You knowing the truth sets you free. It's not over until you say it's over. And if you keep repeating the same dead story again and again and again and again that happened to you 5 and 10 and 15, 20, 30 years, it's not over yet. It will be over when you say it's over. And Jesus looked at her and said, where are your accusers? She says, nobody accuses me anymore. That freed him to seal it. Neither do I accuse you. You're free to go and sin no more. It's over when you say it's over. When you decide I am not going to be a victim anymore. I'm not going to play to this. I'm not going to repeat that story. I'm not going to cry about that wound. I'm not going to wrestle with it. I'm not going to let it pain me. I'm going to just determine right here and right now, it's over. It's over when you say it's over. You shall say to the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And whatever you declare with your tongue, it will happen. Jesus himself said that. So he looked her in the face and said, where are your accusers? Listen to me for a moment. Listen, she could have said, well, sir, they... They, they walked over there, some went that way, then it's not over. At this point, she understood a great truth. It doesn't matter where the accusers are now. She says, I don't have any. <laughs> Somebody in this room this morning needs to say, I don't have any, okay? I don't have any accusers anymore. That accusing voice that says you can't. It's a lie. That accusing voice that says that you're less than, it's a lie. That accusing voice that says you will never amount to anything, that's a lie. And it will be over when you say it's over. Would you stand to your feet this morning? That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.